Children's Church, if any of the kiddos want to go that way. There's a few going. John 18. John chapter 18. I assume we all remember the, uh, the riots of 2020 um, as we watched on the news and saw clips of, and other places, not here of course, but other places, those riots wouldn't really fly around here I don't think, but in other places there are all these riots where these mobs would go out and just loot stores, just robbing them or light them on fire. Or my personal favorite, when people would go block a highway, and I'm like, man, I would just drive right through there. But anyway, we'll see. But that's insane to watch. I remember, I remember watching it. Just, just go back and YouTube some of those clips. It's craziness. And as I was studying the text this week in John 18 and remembering kind of where we are, it, it, it reminded me of that, that this mob of people, which in this case, are religious people, these Jewish people who claim to know and worship the one true God, they are riled up in a way that they are going to do whatever it takes to get their agenda done. Of course, what they don't, what they don't realize is God's agenda is going to be done first, right? They're just being used as a part of it. But. And so as we continuing to study here as Christ is betrayed uh, last week and arrested. Um, we see a word in verse 28, and it says, Then led they. The they here is this group of people who have arrested Christ and who have taken him to Caiaphas, uh, Caiaphas these, the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas, and they've, they've gone through this process of trying to get Jesus sentenced to death and condemned to death. And, and as I was thinking back to last week, Jesus had, before all these soldiers had said, I am. They said, who are you? He said, I am. And remember what happened? The soldiers fell back. And Jesus displayed this power of who he was just in his words. And then when Simon Peter cut off Malchus's ear, the other gospels tell us Jesus picked it up and, and healed it. He fixed it. He healed him. And so these people had seen Jesus, even in these moments, do special things, miraculous things, things of God, and yet they are still hell-bent on killing him. And so it makes me think, how can they do this? How can they not see the truth? How could Judas Iscariot have not seen the truth, right? And how can these religious, so-called religious leaders not see the truth and it wants me to, it reminds me to remind us this morning that before we are Christians, we are totally depraved, which means sin has corrupted every part of who we are in such a way that if we have our choice of the matter, we will always choose sin and we will never choose God every time because the total depravity, the corruption of sin in our lives from our first father Adam, has doomed us. And so until God opens our eyes to the truth of Christ, our eyes will be darkened. And so I'm just, as we start this morning, I want to say, 
if you're, if you're listening to the sermon and God hasn't opened your eyes, then you have, I'm sure, no real desire for the things of God, right? Or let me say it this way, if you have no desire for the things of God, then surely God has not yet opened your eyes. And these leaders have clearly not had their eyes open to the things of God. And we shouldn't be surprised when, the, when non-believers act the way they do. We shouldn't be surprised at these people who, who by the way, as you're, we're going to see in the text in a minute, they're concerned about being defiled before the Passover or during the Passover because they want to worship God through the Passover. And so they're, they're worried about being defiled. We're going to see that. They don't want to go in uh, Pilate's house, his, his location, because it could defile them for the Passover. Meanwhile, they're dragging the Passover lamb himself in. Isn't that insane? And so I'm reminded that often people reject Christ because that's what sinners do. But I don't want us to throw stones at these people. I want us to think about our own lives. How often do we reject Christ in our words, our actions, our attitudes? I pray we would not do so. Let's look at the text. John 18, we're going to read 28 through 40. If you're at 28, say word. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas. Remember we talked about Caiaphas briefly last week? High priest, and, and John doesn't tell us what happened there. We can read that in other Gospels. But here's what he says. They led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. It's early morning. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. As I just told you, they, they couldn't go in because going into the Roman place like that would defile them. They need to be clean to celebrate their religious Passover. Verse 29, Pilate then went out unto them. Who is Pilate, by the way? And we read the Apostles' Creed a minute ago, and it says, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Have you ever wondered why? Why does the Apostles' Creed, which has been around forever, almost, a staple of the faith, why does it mention Pontius Pilate? Why doesn't it mention Caiaphas or Annas or someone else? Why does it mention Pilate? I think it's because he is the, the instrument of judgment here, or the instrument of authority. Um, and so he's been mentioned in this forever. Pilate, by the way, before we read on, he was the Roman governor in Judea. So imagine this, you're a politician, you get, you get a governorship, you're excited about it, you're, you're in Rome, the city you love, where you want to be, it's the happen, happening place, and they say, well, guess what, Pilate, we're going to put you in charge of Judea, of Israel. You're going to Jerusalem, and that's not the place you want to go, because they're known to uprise at times. And so he has to go and be in this place he don't want, we even want to be. And there's stories, Josephus, the historian, tells us all these interesting stories about how when Pilate got there, he would try to, like, poke the people. And literally they would come in and have, and they would do either riots or strikes, and they would always kind of win out. Almost every time Pilate would do something they didn't like, they would riot or strike, and he would back down because he wanted to keep the peace. Except one time he did have some of them killed. But almost every time... He would back down. And so when they bring Jesus in here to accuse Jesus before Pilate, remember this, Pilate doesn't want an uprising. Pilate doesn't want an issue. Pilate doesn't want word to get back to Rome 
that says, you're not doing a good job, you're fired. And so he just wants to get this situation taken care of. So let's read what he says. Verse 29, so Pilate goes out to them. Remember, they can't come in to him. They'll be defiled. He goes out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said unto him, if he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, take, you take him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Stop there. You see, they needed his approval. Uh, the Romans oppressed them. The Romans were there and they had control and, and they were in charge in this sense. So they cannot put him to death. By the way, if they did put him to death, what was the Jewish way to put people to death? Was it crucifixion? Stoning? And what would have happened if Jesus would have been stoned instead of crucified? Scripture wouldn't be Scripture. Jesus said, I will be lifted up. It says it on multiple occasions in the Gospels that he pointed to the fact that he would be crucified and lifted up in that sense. So this had to happen. Verse 32. That the saying of Jesus, here we go, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered the judgment hall again. So Pilate goes in and kind of has this meeting with Jesus and says unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? By the way, I read this very like, Pilate to me is not concerned whatsoever, I don't think. He's not whatsoever, I don't think for one bit he's concerned about this guy. He's worried about the crowd, but I don't think he's worried about Jesus. Jesus answered him, verse 34, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What, what hast thou done? Why are you here? What have, what have you done to upset these folks? Why are you even here? Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I, sh that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from here, not from this world. Pilate therefore said unto him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I unto the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? Again, I, I take the tone here to mean like, like Pilate's probably given up on finding truth. <laughs> like, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said unto him, unto them, so Pilate goes back out and says, I find nothing wrong. I find no guilt in this man. But you have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? So he, and I think his plan backfires on him. I think his thing is like, I'll let them think they're making the decision. You know people like that? You got to let it be their idea to get something done. I know people like that. You got to make, make it their idea. I think he's like, I'm putting it in their, their hands, and they'll, they'll, they, they will release, if they have a choice, they'll keep Barabbas, this terrorist, murderer, robber, in prison, and they'll release this meek teacher. His plan backfired, didn't it? Verse 40, then cried they all again, saying, no, not this man, not Jesus, but Barabbas. 
Now, Barabbas was a robber. Other places tell us he was a lot worse than just a simple thief. I want to go to this text, and we've already I've discussed some of it. I want to focus on 36 and 37 and give you three points this morning that I think Jesus speaks on and that apply to us today. The first one is Christ's kingdom. Christ's kingdom is what he talks about in verse 36. As Pilate is questioning him twice in 36, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. I think in general, we tend to be, a lot of us tend to be over-expectors. Um, I, I was thinking about how this is prom season. I know some schools had prom this weekend. And I know there are more proms coming up or whatever. Prom, is, to me, is one of those things where you have all these expectations, how great it's going to be, and when it's over, you're like, oh, that was it. Well, that was my experience. I went to three proms. Uh, that was it. And in general, there's things like that in our lives. You might go, go, to, go to something or do something or watch a show or just do something, and you think, I expected more. You might think that on church. You might think that today. I expected more today. But in general, I think we overexpect. And when we overexpect things, we tend to be disappointed, right? Like, well, what's going on here? We tend to be disappointed. So here's why I'm saying this. Many of these Jews expected Jesus to come be their king. They thought he was going to be like King David, right? Winning all these military battles. They thought he was going to fight in such a way that the Romans would get out of town. That's what they, they were over expectors for who they expected Jesus to be. And I like to think of it this way. Jesus was a king, but not the earthly king they were looking for, right? He was not a threat whatsoever to Roman rule in Israel. If Jesus had been a threat to Pilate, I believe Pilate would have dealt with it. The Romans would have dealt with it. That was, that was their way. If they feared Jesus in any way, they would have done something about it. But again, I read this text, and I don't think Pilate worried at all. He was worried about the crowd, not Jesus. It seemed like he didn't want anything to do with it. But as I read this and think about these, the expectations of these Jewish people and the, the role of Pilate, I'm reminded that verse 36 is a good reminder for us to remember that the kingdom of Christ is not of this world. Listen, Jesus did not come to conquer nations. He came to conquer death for you and for me. That we, no matter what happens to us in this life, no matter how long this life lasts, whenever it's our time to enter into eternity, if we are in Christ, he has conquered death for us. As one old song I love says, it is not death to die if you're in Christ. So what does this mean that he's the king of a different kind of kingdom? Well, for Jesus, it means his victory is a spiritual one. Remember in the text, he said, if I was an earthly king, my servants would have fought. But they, they're not fighting because my kingdom is different. Jesus fought a, a spiritual fight, didn't he? Jesus won by dying. That's contradictory to the way the world works, right? But he won by giving his life. So what does this mean for his disciples? I think it means they could follow him even to death because they knew his kingdom was spiritual. It was eternal. And most of them, by the way, did follow him even to death. What does this mean for us? As the old song says, this world is not our home. Our lives are about God's kingdom. This church is about God's kingdom, where he reigns as king and we are servants in the kingdom. The Bible calls us sojourners, exiles, aliens. It says we're just passing through. And I wonder how often we think in that way in life. 
How often do we think of eternal things more than temporal things? Because if you're like me, you spend the majority of your time focusing on earthly things, right? How am I going to be a better husband? How am I going to be a better father? Uh, where am I going to work? How am I going to make enough money to retire or do this or do that? How am I going to enjoy these different parts of life? Even at church, we tend to think of sometimes about the temporary things, you know, different things we have to do and, and as far as the church goes. But I want to remind us, when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, I'm reminded of something else he said when he said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and what? And lose his soul. Our home is not here. Our destination is not here. And so Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. I just want to remind us today, we serve Christ and it's his kingdom. We look forward to a future kingdom with him. Number two, in verse 37, I want you to see Christ's purpose. His purpose. Look at verse 37. He says, you say that I'm a king. Uh, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world. So what's his purpose, he says? To bear witness to the truth. There was a book years ago that came out about purpose called The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, I remember reading that back in the day when it came out. It's very popular. I'm guessing at least one other person here read it, uh, or a few people. Super popular book. If you have a copy now, I would put it in the garbage and read something better. My personal opinion. Uh, although I think it's a good opinion. Um, I would not read that book or anything from that pastor. But it was a big push in the church. Find your purpose. Find your purpose. Find your purpose. And, and so we read this book, and we did little studies together, and you're trying to find your purpose. What's my purpose? What's my purpose? Well, all along, God's already told us our purpose, <laughs> right? He's created us to glorify him, to make disciples, to love God, to love people to love the church, to love his word. He's told us his purpose. And Jesus says here, in a very simplified fashion, my purpose is to bear witness to the truth. He could have said, my purpose is to live a perfect life. My purpose is to die a sacrificial death. My purpose is to rise again from the grave. My purpose is to ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. My purpose is to one day come back and take a people to be with me. He could have said all that, but in this brief moment, he says to Pilate, my purpose is to bear witness, to manifest, to make known the truth. And that's what he did, right? Jesus taught the truth. He showed the truth. I mean, he even said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So Christ came to point people to his purpose, which is him. And so church, we must know God more through his word and live in a way that his word can be replicated through our lives. Let me say this again. We want to intake the Bible as much as we can. Reading it at home, reading it at church, discussing it on Wednesday nights, listening to sermons, taking notes, discussing it with your family. We want to intake the Word as much as we can, but listen, that's not when the job is done. I actually think a mature Christian, a mature believer, is someone who doesn't just intake the Word, but the Word is replicated through them. Like, they're able to take, and they may not be a preacher or a Bible scholar, but they're able to take what they know from the Word and share it with at least one person. Maybe it's their own children, or maybe their spouse, or a friend, to somehow take what you learn and replicate. Remember what we said a while back? We're not meant to be the Dead Sea. We're meant to be more like the Jordan River, flowing. Don't let it stop with us. Don't let the Word stop with you, but 
manifest the truth. Make it known to others. And not in a way where I'm like, I know the truth. You better sit down and listen to me. But in a way of like, this truth has changed my life. I want you to know it. This truth has helped me. I want it to help you. That's the purpose of the church, by the way. And I hope our church is different than the status quo. I hope we have a seriousness around the word that stands out. Not in a braggadocious way, but I hope we have a seriousness about the word that we know when we come here, yes, we're going to laugh, yes, we're going to joke sometimes, yes, we're going to have a good time, but when it comes down to it, there's going to be some time where we are serious about the word. And if we're serious about the word, and I mean really serious about it, the word and prayer and worship, then that's going to be different than a lot of churches nowadays. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of people who are not going to like that level of seriousness. There are a lot of people who are not going to tolerate a seriousness about God's word in today's church. There are people who are going to say, if, if the sermon is longer than 35 minutes, I'm out. If it's 12 o'clock, I'm out. And that's pretty sad. And I've done it before. I've been in your seat where I'm like, he done yet? I've done that. Or three points on the second one, almost at the third one. I've done, I've been there. Or I used to have a pastor who would say, all right, here's my conclusion. And I promise he would preach 15, 20 more minutes. I finally told him one day, I said, stop saying it's your conclusion. Because it's, putting, it's getting our hopes up. We're over-expectors. We're over-expecting. But I'm being serious when I say, that's kind of sad. That my friend that we talked about in prayer meeting this morning, Michael, who's over in Ethiopia, he sent out a message early this, or maybe late last night, however the time is over there in Ethiopia. And he said, I'm praying for my church back home. that will meet in the morning. He said, we're about to go to service here. He said, all I know is it's going to last a really long time. And he said, I'm not going to know what they're saying, what they're singing, but I'm going to be there for hours. I'm going to pray as they do all the worship they do. And as I read that, I thought to myself, man, and in his church back home, I bet there are people this morning like, man, it's, it's longer than an hour. <laughs> Isn't that sad? And I think it's probably because we're just so blessed with material stuff that we're focused on the earthly kingdom. We forget about our purpose. My point is that as a biblical church, trying to, be, trying to be a biblical church, and we're not perfect, we're far from it, we have a long way to go, but as we try to be a biblical church who pursues biblical worship, we are going to turn off half-hearted, faithless professors of Christianity. If you are half-hearted about the Word or Christ, if you're kind of dipping your toe in Christianity but you're not in, you're probably not going to, like our church as we go forward, in my opinion, because we are going to be, I think, day by day, week by week, year by year, I pray we are very serious about the word. But if you ask me what I want in a church, that's what I want. Don't you want a bigger building? Nope. Don't you want a bigger band? Nope. Don't you want more ministries for teens and kids? Nope. Don't you want... Um, more pastors, elders? Nope. Don't you want? No. I want to be focused on the word. That's, Jesus said, I'm here to bear witness to the truth. The way we bear witness to the truth is this truth. Remember John 17? Jason preached to us. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in truth. Then what did he say? Your word is truth. Number three, Christ's people. We have Christ's kingdom, we have Christ's purpose, and his people. In verse 37, at the end of it there, he says, Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. 
So Jesus tells Pilate here, there are some people who are of the truth. These are those who listen to him. I'm reminded of John 10, 27, when Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. That's why I can preach a sermon today, right? And some of you are like, I kind of get what he's saying because you're one of God's children. You're sensitive to what he's saying. And there might be people going, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> because you're not hearing from God. You're just hearing a man's voice. All right? You're not hearing God's word in your heart through this word. I was thinking about an illustration for this. And you know, I'm not always good with illustrations. But I want you to imagine there's a firefighter. And he gets a call to go to a house that's on fire. And, and he knocks. And he actually knows the people. And so he knocks. And he yells, hey, I'm just going to make up a name. Let's say the guy's name's Jim. Hey, Jim, your house is on fire. And he knocks. Jim, I see the smoke. Jim, is that what the firefighter's going to do? Is that a good firefighter? No, right? He's not going to sit there and knock. What's he going to do? He's going to bust the door down, right? And he's probably yelling the guy's name out, but he's going to bust the door down. He's going to go in. He's going to grab his friend and drag him out. If he can, right? That's his job, that's his duty, that's what he does. I want you to see that that firefighter overcomes the barrier. He doesn't stand outside the door like, Jim. And I want you to see that in salvation, Christ overcomes the barrier. Christ does not stand outside the door and knocking like, let me in please, accept me into your heart, let me in. No, Christ in regeneration is more like the EMT with the paddles that shocks you back to life that's what Christ does right he busts the door down and says I've conquered your sinner's heart and look to Christ and so he says here everyone who is of the truth hears listens to my voice so church if you're a Christian right now there was one time in your life you were spiritually lost and you could not find the truth you were spiritually blind, you could not see the truth. You were spiritually deaf, and you could not hear the truth. And you were spiritually dead, and you had no life for the truth. But God, who is rich in mercy and grace, when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ. As he called Lazarus from the tomb, he's called us from death, giving us the heart of life, the heart of flesh. I'm reminded that in Christ, we are these people. We're of the truth. We listen to his voice. We're servants of a kingdom. We're servants of a kingdom. We're joining a purpose. And we're his people. Conclusion. Here we go. So Pilate asks, and we already discussed this a couple weeks ago, in verse 38, what is truth? Isn't that interesting? Pilate says, what is truth? And he's staring truth in the face. Pilate, I, th I really think Pilate wanted to let him go, I think. And so he tries to use the people, as I said earlier, and it backfires on him. But of course, that was the plan of God. Let me give you your application. Three things. Based on the verses 36 and 37, the three points I gave you this morning. Are you living for his kingdom? I had many verses. I just put this one on there because it's familiar to us. Um, just put those up there, Kendall. That's fine. I think they cut the third one off. Or you can move it up if you want to. Are you living for his kingdom? There's so many verses about living for his kingdom, being servants of the master, him being our Lord. 
I think that was the motto of the early church. Jesus is Lord. He's, his kingdom reigns. But this is a verse I know is familiar to us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Are you living for his kingdom? Maybe that needs to be a matter of prayer for you this morning. That you surrender living for yourself and your kingdom. And you live more for his kingdom. That might should be a prayer for us every day. Number two, are you living for his purpose? Jesus told those the early disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He told them later, he said, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. He keeps saying to them, follow, follow, follow. Are you following Jesus? That's our purpose, to follow him as disciples. Not perfectly, but depending on him to help us. Are you living out your purpose? Can I make a non-controversial statement? You can't truly live out your purpose and live for his kingdom apart from the church. Unless you have just a serious illness and something that keeps you from being a part of the church, right? You can't, how can you love the people of God if you're not with the people of God? How can you encourage the people of God if you're not with the people of God? You can't live out that purpose apart from the church. That's why we need each other. Are you living for his kingdom? Are you living for his purpose? Are you one of his people? He doesn't tell us here. He doesn't give us the gospel presentation here, but one of the first things Jesus ever said, as recorded in Scripture, is repent and believe the gospel. To turn from your sin and turn to him. Trusting Him. Can I say this, church? Let's replace things like asking Jesus into your heart. Let's replace that with this statement. Repent and believe the gospel. As you talk to your children, grandchildren, kids in our church, let's replace, here's the ABCs of salvation. Let's tell them this. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what Jesus said. That's what the disciples said. It's what we need to say. We have talked about our discipleship pathway here, and I want to close with this quickly. It's not up there. I just want you to listen to it. Number one, turn to Christ. And this is like, if you say, what, what does our church want from me? What does my church need from me? Here's our pathway. First, turn to Christ. Are you a Christian? That's number one. Number two, join the congregation. Be a member. Be an active member so that you can be equipped and that you can help others. Many of you have been great members of the church for years. That's amazing. Continue to be faithful. Others who might be thinking about it, please see me. I'd love to talk with you about church membership. Number three, after you've turned to Christ, you join the church congregation. The third one is to invest in your church community. And by this, I mean to attend Wednesday nights so that you might get to know people better, so that you might be able to hear people's hearts and see where we're, where we're coming from. You might hear something in a sermon and go, I don't know if I quite agree with that. And you can always ask me afterwards, but Wednesday night's a great place to hear everyone's thoughts on a text. And by the way, listen, if you disagree, that's actually fine. We sometimes disagree with each other, but we just keep loving each other anyway. Invest in your church community. And number four is to influence your crowd, which means with your life as best you can, with the help of the church, 
You influence people around you with Christ-like words, actions, and attitudes. What we do in here is meant to impact our lives out there. If our faith is only something that happens in here, that's not very good faith. That's not biblical faith. Where are you in that pathway? What next step do you need to take? I pray as we move forward in what's year seven of our church, that we would all be thinking about where we are in that pathway, what steps we need to take to be better servants of Christ and of his church. Let's pray.